Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. phrase that was awesome that was great appreciate uh, appreciate that brother nick very much if you win your bibles turn to psalm 31 psalm 31 we were in this psalm last wednesday night we're going to cover 18 verses tonight the first 18 verses we've covered verse 14 and 15 last week so we'll kind of just uh, skim those tonight but what a great and great uh chapter this is what a great psalm this is the Lord is our rock, and we'll, we'll visit that again from there in Psalm 61 or 62. There's so many times that the psalmist refers to uh, God as his rock, and so this certainly won't be a theme that we'll, uh, we, we won't visit again. We absolutely will be back. Psalm 31 was written by King David, and we think, uh, read various commentaries, they all have a various, various opinions at what point of, uh, it was in his life, but I think John Phillips may have... Uh, may have got this one and he he thinks it's kind of all of it and uh, actually john phillips names this the up and down psalm the up and downs of the up and downs of life david's life up and down up and down doesn't that characterize our lives as we think about that as christians that our lives are up and down and so we think about though as david is fleeing saul and those others who sought to kill him uh, he trusted god we, we studied verse 14 last week Verse 14 and 15, but, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. And we, we went over that uh, the times are in God's hands. Our time is in God's hands. And David understood that. He understood that, that uh, our life is in God's hands, that our trials are in God's hands, that our detours, you know, we can have trials, but we also have detours and things that we, we, we think we're going this way and then it, we go another way. And, and I'm thankful God is there when we have those detours in life. I'm glad that God's there in, in the times of death. And then I'm thankful that God's, we're in God's hands when it comes to the future. And uh, so looking forward to that. And also uh, in service, in serving Him. So our times are in God's hands. Look at Psalm 31. Let's look at verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm sorry. Turn back to where it was. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. I've underlined, as I've told you, in the book of Psalms, I've underlined all of the times in which it says trust. It's amazing how many times it's found in the book of Psalms. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me. Deliver me in thine righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, a God of truth. I have hated them that have regarded lying vanities, but I trusted in the Lord. Let's stop there because we'll cover these as we go along. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your love. We praise you and thank you for this wonderful psalm. I pray that we again would not only um, learn from it, but God be able to apply many of these truths to our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This is an important psalm. It's quoted by Jonah. It's quoted by Jeremiah. And of course, we know that it was quoted by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And when he said, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. So it is an important psalms. And, and again, I think maybe uh, John Phillips kind of nails it, that it's the ups and downs of life that uh, David experienced. And we all experience that. This first uh, section, verses 1 through 4, we see that the Lord is his rock. David understood that the Lord is his rock, that he is his strength, that he is his defense. I think of David as he's fleeing Saul and uh, King Saul and fleeing for his life. And David many times heads for the hills, doesn't he? Heads for the hills and gets in the cave or, or, and hides from Saul. And we see here David's desire that he pled with God. And he said, Lord, I trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed of that. Deliver me in thy righteousness. He said, my desire, Lord, is to trust in you. Hear me. Rescue me, he says. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Hurry up and deliver me. Hurry up and, and rescue me. Many times we pray the same way, don't we? David prayed that way. He understood his defense. He said there in the middle of verse 2, Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. Notice this closely. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Let's go back. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. The Hebrew word found there in verse 2 for defense is the same Hebrew word found in verse 3 for fortress. Same Hebrew word that the translators translated them in, into English in two different ways, which is what they did. They varied it up to, depending on the context. They just didn't repeat fortress again. But they mean the same thing. Hebrews in the in the in the a Hebrew language, it would have been, you could have, you could have, if you wanted to, for an house of fortress to save me. And you could have said in verse 3, for thou art my rock and my defense, to the same Hebrew word. All right? I'm thankful the, the Bible interprets itself. Right? You can read a verse of scripture that has the same Hebrew word, and you learn, and you get a fuller meaning. You really don't have to go back to the Hebrew to get the fuller meaning. You get the fuller meaning by comparing scripture with scripture. Fortress and defense. God is my rock. Thou art my rock, thou art my defense, thou art my, uh, thy, thy, my fortress. And uh, this is interesting. Paul, he was basically praying this way. Be thou to me what thou art. Lord, you are the rock. And, and, and here's the thing, I, I love this and I came across this as I was uh, studying Alexander McLaren's commentary, he says, understand that God has said over and over again in the Psalms and other places that, that he's our rock. And so David is just saying, hey, you, you are our rock. You are, you are the rock. Be thou my rock as thou art that rock. And, and it's a great prayer. And so it reminds me that as we are praying, that we ought to address the character of God when we're praying, or we ought to address the promises of God. So when you pray, you could pray such as, Lord, you promised in you know, uh, Philippians 4.19 that you supply all my needs. Lord, I, I'm just basing upon the promise, and here's a need that I have. And if you come to him, uh, again, as a child of God, and you come to him uh, humbly before him, he will answer your prayer because he's promised to. Pray 
Ask, that's what pray means, it means to ask. And it shall be given unto you. Amen? Asking and receiving, the old John R. Rice book. I, you know, we, we read too much into it. We, we fret too much when it comes to prayer. If we're, we humble ourselves before God and we come to Him in a contrite spirit and, and we come to Him as a child to His Father and we ask Him for something, He says, if you ask, you know, ask for bread, you don't think I'm going to give it to you? I'm going to give you a stone? If, if you ask for fish, I'm going to give you a snake? No, he's, our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us. He's going to answer our prayer. And David just simply says, Lord, thou art, thou art the rock. Be thou my rock. Be my fortress. And the metaphor here is, as we think of David running to the hills, running for higher ground, right? A fortress or a defense was always in higher ground. It's always built up on a plateau of some sort. And, and the, the whole valley might flood, but the fortress... Uh, remain steady and strong because it's up on the rock. It's up, it's up higher uh, than the rest. Lead me to that rock that is higher than, uh, than I. It's a great song, by the way. You might want to uh, Google that one. Why don't you lead me to that rock that is higher than I? Lead me to that rock. Anybody ever heard it? If you've heard that song, raise your hand. A few of you, okay. It's an old, old, maybe like 50s uh, quartet song. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I'm thankful that God is our rock. He is, David said, you're my rock. And as he's praying this, as he's, as he's coming before God, he said, Lord, I desire that, and I have put my trust in you. And Lord, don't let me be ashamed of that. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thy ear. Hear me. Uh, rescue me. Uh, and in fact, he says, rescue me speedily. Hurry up and rescue me. Because, God, you are my rock. Really what he's saying is, that, Lord, you are, you are the rock. And therefore, you, will you be my rock? And my defense? And my fortress? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You can go back and read the context of this. But basically what it's saying is God's character will not allow him. God's character will not allow him to break his promises. God's character will not allow him to deny himself. In other words, he has proclaimed himself to be the rock. He has proclaimed himself to be that strength and defense and shelter and and fortress, and therefore he'll keep his promises. God always keeps his promises. And we'll use the verse in Hebrews most of the time where he says, God cannot lie. I'm thankful for that verse. But Timothy does the same thing uh, here. He's, he say, hey, he can't deny himself. He can't go back on his word. So thankful for that. And that's why the metaphor is used, the rock. The rock. Why is it used? A rock speaks of stability. Um... You see the metaphor trees used a lot in the Bible, but a tree will drop its leaves and so forth and so on. A rock stands. You know, you go back to, you know, uh, actually the in the Hebrew, and we don't go use the Hebrew much, but it, it is kind of relevant in, in this a little bit, in these two verses. But uh, what, one of the rock here is saying that he is a rock. One of them means that he is like a big cliff. Uh, a, a huge towering rock, rocky cliff. 
I'm just telling you, God's so greater than, we'd ever, than we can ever think or understand. And, uh, and when A.W. Tozer said that what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, that's absolutely true. David ran for his life. David, who sang in front of Saul, who sang for him, who was a confidant and best friend of his own son, Jonathan, and yet, and killed Goliath. And yet Saul sought to kill him. And David said, I, I'm just going to put my trust in the Lord. He had been anointed king by Samuel already. He had already been promised the throne by God. Understand that. David had already been promised the throne uh, by God. And God always keeps his promises. He is our rock. The rock speaks of God is unchangeable. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. People change, but God never changes. And therefore, his promises never change. He is our rock. He is our sure foundation. He's the rock on which we build our lives. He's a, he's, can be trusted. The Bible speaks of the rock in the wilderness when Moses struck the rock. Moses spake to the rock and struck the rock. First Corinthians says that rock was Jesus. Jesus Christ is the rock. And that's the illustration for us tonight. Again, this metaphor runs throughout the book of Psalms, that he is our rock. We'll, we'll visit it again, I promise you. Verse 4, he speaks of the dangers. His dangers, he says, pull me out of the net that they have privily for me, for thou art my strength. And isn't that true? The devil lays wait for us. God's there to, to strengthen us and to guide us. Verse 5, and this is the verse that Jesus quoted on the cross. He said, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. And thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So we see here, not only do we see David and, uh, and, and as his rock, but we see David's surrender, his surrender. So the scene, let's say the scene changes. We don't know this is to be factual, but think about maybe the scene changes for David. And now Saul is dead. King Saul is dead. And, and David arrives and, and, uh, there to be crowned in Hebron, and he's 30 years old, and he comes to Hebron, and Judah, the tribe of Judah, comes and crowns him king. We see, kind of look at that as you look at this. He says, into thy hand, my, thine hand I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me. This word redeemed here is not by payment, it's, it's, but it's by power, that God redeemed him and by power. Not David's power, but, his, but God's power. David put his life into God's hand. He said, into thine hand I commit my spirit. In other words, Lord, whatever you want for my life. And uh, I remind you, God had promised David to be, he would be king. And, he's, and he kept his promise. He kept his promise. Into my, thy hand I commit my spirit. Look at verse, 14, or verse 15 again. My times are in thy hand. And David just surrendered to God's will. Whatever God, had, God has for his life, he surrendered to it. Surrendered to it. I read an illustration today about our life and, and, and trust and, and, uh, in, and committing ourselves to the Lord and yielding to him. 
And the illustration was that he spoke about putting, when we take our checks and we take our earnings and we put them in the bank, why do we do that? We put them in the bank because we don't trust people because they could come into our house and take our money, right? Uh, I know my great-grandparents used to keep lots of money in their home back in the day. I'm talking like lots of money, that maybe thousands in their home. And people just don't do that today. The days they have changed. When I was growing up, you didn't lock your doors. When I was growing up, you didn't lock the windows. I mean, it, you just didn't lock the house. Uh, when I was a kid, I lived three miles outside of town, and I would ride my bicycle into town and spend the whole day in town with friends riding around town, riding around downtown, and then coming. You know, the days have changed today. And the whole point is we, we put our money in the bank to keep it safe so that we won't fret about it. We go about life not thinking that, I mean, especially as Americans, we're, we're blessed. We don't go around thinking, uh-oh, my money's not going to be there tomorrow unless I spend it. No, my money's safe in the bank. My money's safe in the bank. Can I tell you, your life is safe in Jesus Christ. And we place our trust in Him. We give our life to Him. And we don't have to fret about it. And what happens sometimes, though, is we, we go to the bank, we take our money out. Sometimes we do that to the Lord. We, just, we go to Him, we take our life back. And then here comes the worry. And here comes the fret. It's when we take that back that we experience that worry and that fret. We just, we just need to keep our, our money in the bank. We need, to, we need to trust the Lord. And David trusted him. He put, said, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Uh, he said, my times are in thy hands. Our lives are safe in the hands of Jesus. I think about, again, David understood that God was going to have him to be king someday. I think about Joseph. Remember Joseph uh, there in Genesis where uh, his brothers hated him, the coat of many colors, you know the story, and they sold him into slavery. They sold him to the Midianites. They took him down to Egypt, and there he was sold into Potiphar's house. And, and from Potiphar's house, he was accused by Potiphar's wife and then thrown into prison. And then there in prison, he rose to power. And then, and then on in the baker and the, and the butler. And then finally... Second most powerful man in the world. And I submit to you that, especially in Joseph's case, that he never fretted about it. Go look. I'm not saying he didn't want to be in prison. Because he said uh, to the, uh, to the uh, butler, please remember me. <laughs> I'm not saying he didn't want to be there. I'm saying Joseph knew someday that his brothers were going to bow to him. Joseph knew someday and had confidence that one day his parents would bow to him. And that, to me, is what kept him going through prison. And that, to me, is what kept him going when, when he was sold by his brothers. He knew and he trusted the promise of God. David was sought by Saul over and over again. King Saul wanted to kill him. King Saul had an army. A bigger army than David. 
much bigger. And yet you look for those years, David was protected by God. He was kept by God from being killed by Saul. Joseph, again, those 10 years and the, from, the, you know, there, from the prison to the palace, God kept him safe. Why? Because God cannot lie. God will keep his promises. God, God will every time. His character, can, he can do no other. He will fulfill his promise. I believe David understood that as well. And kept his promises. Lord, you've redeemed me. Thou hast redeemed me. Thou hast, through thy power, have placed me on the throne. Then verses 6 through 8, we see uh, another contrast, if you would. He was glad. It says, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Notice what it says there. Thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversity, adversity and hast not shut me up into the hand of, my, of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Lord, uh, thank you for remembering me. <laughs> this is actually the verse quoted by Jonah, verse 6 is, in that he trusted God. That, that lying vanities are things that come between you and God. Jonah allowed his prejudice for Nineveh to come between him and God. And he went the other way, and God chastised him. Amen? And, and, and here David's saying, Lord, thank you for your mercy. And I, he said, I'm, I hated those things that came between me and you. David was a man after God's heart because David was sensitive to God. He was sensitive to God. He had a, he had a, a spiritual sensitivity. It, it bothered him when he did wrong. And he confessed it when he did wrong. He was confronted a few times. Have mercy. Thank you for your mercy. I'm glad because of your mercy. There in verse 7. Rejoice because of your mercy. So, he rejoiced in God's mercy. He rejoiced that God, God thinked about, uh, thought about him. And that word, that word, that large room just simply means, he says, I'm thankful that I am not enclosed, but that I'm free. Enclosed, but I'm free. I'm th- telling you, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are free. We, we are not enclosed. God is good. God is good. And then we see his remorse. Maybe here we're thinking maybe, maybe his life with, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and killed Uriah. And Nathan the prophet comes in and and uh, uh, you know, condemns him and, and approaches him. And we see the death of the baby and, and the shame that it brought David. Sin brings guilt and pain. Look at verse, uh, again, look at verse 10. No, look at verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of my what? iniquity and my bones are consumed i was a reproach and you can go on down through there he just saying again that sin had brought guilt upon him sin had brought pain upon him can i remind you that sin will bring forth fruit you reap what you sow and so it's so vitally important that we remember that sin destroys sin will destroy your health sin will destroy your home sin will take away your happiness and sin can take away your joy as well 
sin. He, he grieved about it. He, in fact, to the point of exhaustion. The point of exhaustion there in verse 10. Verse 11 says, I was approached among my enemies. Verse 12, I, have for, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. Verse 13, for I have heard the slander of many. Who, many Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. They sought to kill him. The cause of the pain that he had was because of his sin, but also because, because of that sin, people forsook him. And he was forgotten by his peers. If you follow David's life, and maybe I didn't think about this as much as I should have in the past, but if you follow David's life, David had some tremendous ups and downs. I mean, you see David there as a shepherd boy, you know, killing the bear and the lion, you know. We think about David coming before Samuel, being anointed king, man, very great highlights, and David killing Goliath. I mean, these are wonderful, wonderful uh, mountaintop experiences for David. But then you see David fleeing Saul. And in that, in that valley in his life, you see him you know, acting like he's crazy to the Philistines. And then many other weird you know, things that he, not weird, but you know, it, it, it affected him. Right? It affected his life. That valley affected him and, and uh, so forth. But then, then you see Saul's death and, he, and him anointed king in, in, in Hebron by Judah. And then, and then back on top, back on the mountain again. And and, but he suffered while he was in the valley when Saul was chasing him. Everybody agree? I mean, I mean, not just a little. He suffered a lot. And then here he is on the top mountaintop again, king again. And, and then we, as time goes on, then the, as he becomes older, and then the committing adultery with Bathsheba, uh, where he counted the people, remember, when he counted the people and he shouldn't have, and that great uh, pestilence and the, the death of so many, and you just see him fall again, and there in the valley, and then... He gets right with God and, and back on the mountaintop. It's just, you know, Absalom. You think about Absalom, his son, the rebellion there. Ups and downs, ups and downs in his life. Great, um, great pain, great grief, great sorrow, uh, great trials, great storms in his life. Why is that, I wonder? Because he is a picture of Jesus. And over and over again, we see David as a picture of the Son of God. And that life and those great mountaintop experiences and then the suffering that David would have and then mountaintop and then the suffering that he would have and then mountaintop and the suffering that he had. And of course, you know, he's a picture. He isn't, he isn't uh, you know, they're not one and the same. David suffered like no other man in the Old Testament. I really think that. I've read that from several commentaries today and i'm like really let me go back and look he did he suffered tremendously and yet he said lord i trust you lord i put my hand in your spirit uh, my i put my spirit in your hands lord i'm in your hands he trusted him i love the prayer he prays he says but i trust in thee O lord verse 14 i said thou art my god my times are in thy hands deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me from the mercy, for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence. Uh, 
uh, which speak grievous uh, things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So we see that David, uh, David prayers here for victory. Notice here a verse he uses, uh, says, But trust in thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my God. We see Lord used and God used in verse 14. Again, we think about Lord Jehovah and Lord Elohim, God Elohim, God the Creator, and God the Self-Existent One. He recognized who God was and he recognized his attributes and character. Lord, you are the Creator. Lord, you are the Covenant Keeper. The promise keeper. Lord, I put my life in your hands. And then lastly, he prayed for visions. David did this in a lot of Psalms. Lord, take care of my enemies. Take care of them. Lord, why, why, is, why, are, why do they prosper and I'm suffering? Lord, take care of my enemies. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Can we be reminded that Jesus said we are to love our enemies. Mm, that's a tough one. We're to love one another. And it's easy to love you know, fellow Christians and whatever. But man, when Jesus said love your enemies, that's tough. See, we're not supposed to get revenge with our enemies. That's the Lord. The Lord does that. David said, Lord, take care of those who seek, uh, seek counsel against me. Take care of those. Take care of my enemies. Maybe, maybe uh, we need to kind of revisit that and, and uh, that person or that uh, whatever event in your life that you are angry about and bitter about and that you're, you're uh, you know, seeing what you can do, seeing what you can do to take care of that problem. Maybe you need to give that problem to the Lord. Not maybe, you should as a Christian. You should bring that that person to the Lord. Lord, you take care of them. Lord, help me. The Bible says, pray for those who despitefully use you. When someone uses you and, and abuses you and, and does you know, wrong things to you, the Bible says you are not to take vengeance for them. You are to pray for them. The most unbelievable thing will happen if you will truly pray for somebody who has wronged you. If you truly will pray for them by name, you'll find yourself feeling differently towards them as you pray for them. If you pray for them consistently, your attitude will change. I promise you. I've experienced it. It may take a while. You may have to ask the Lord a few times, Hey, Lord, help me. But it will change. And you'll find yourself able to talk to them without being upset with them. You'll find yourself being able to be kind to them and, and it not be contrived that it's actually coming from your heart. The Lord will take care of it. Not your job. We're to love our enemies. David said, Lord, take care of my enemies. He just trusted the Lord. God is my strength. God is my rock. And David just simply ran to the hills when Saul and others were chasing him. He went to his fortress and his defense and, and his time of need, knowing that, again, that the fortress, the, the rock, never changes. And God's promises are always true. Again, I love that little statement. Be thou to me what thou art. God, be thou to me what thou art. Surrender to him. Yield to his will. Lord, my times are in your hands. Into thine hands I commend my spirit. Realizing he will 
He will take care of our enemies. I wrote down something different, but I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it that way. I, I really believe that he'll take care of it. And uh, we, we need to pray. Lord, you're my rock. Notice it says, again, he says it twice, my rock, my defense, my fortress. I hope that you know him today as your personal Savior. I hope Jesus is your rock. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it starts. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And he'll be your strong tower and he'll be your defense. Let's all stand. Hymn 153, I Surrender All. Very appropriate hymn tonight. I Surrender All. Learn a lot from David. The man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you today, God, for your love for us. We thank you that you are our rock and our strength, our defense, our fortress. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for that you are mindful of us. And God, we thank you that we can trust you with our lives. Lord, may we yield to you in everything. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn 153. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.